Thank God it's cooler tonight. Yay! Goodbye, Summer. We will say adieu to you in a couple of days' time. And stick that up your ass. Yay! Trouble is... <laughs> trouble is we're blaming the heat on why we lost control of the last podcast. <laughs> what did we blame this time? Um, Life. <laughs> Don't hit the desk! Sorry! Oh, my goodness. <laughs> every fortnight, yes, it is. I do not. I don't do it every fortnight. What the... History, 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 history. Hello, and welcome to What the History, your fortnightly bite-sized bits of bizarre history that are quite tasty and quick and fun to listen to. <laughs> oh, oh you're jazzing this up really well, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Jazz we're, it up. We're in double figures now. Got to tip up the game. I am Trevor Holland, and I am joined by Susie Holland. <laughs> and, and yeah, so what do you have for us this fortnight, Susie? Okay, I have a interesting story for you guys and girls. Now, I've got a, a bit of a plague story here, but it's not about rats. Now, some of you out there know that I've been dancing all my life, and I can't imagine life without dance. But in history, because that's what we're all here for, right? There have been instances where people have felt compelled to dance, on repeat, constantly, and have ended up collapsing of sheer exhaustion, suffering organ failure, or worse, dying because of it. These people who are into the weed and verse out there, hi! <laughs> and especially Buffy the Vampire Slayer, will remember or maybe not <laughs> I'd like to forget it myself but anyway uh, the once more with feeling episode that's the episode that I'd like to forget not Buffy itself okay um, where the demon's sweet and the rest of the Scooby gang witnessed Buffy dancing and if it wasn't for Spike intervening she might have died yes the dancing plagues of 1374 in Aachen Germany and 1518 in Strasbourg France were just like that um, now on the 24th of June, 1374, a dancing plague, also known as Choriomania, began in Aachen and swept across various villages along the Rhine River. People simply began dancing to the point of exhaustion and they were foaming at their mouths, only to get up and dance again. That's if they physically could. Um, some died from injuries caused by the dance or heart attacks. Uh, frenzied movements and seeing visions, screaming and shouting of those afflicted were reported. Then after a few months, the plague left as quickly as it had began. Now, it's been suggested that the participants weren't the townspeople themselves, but people on a pilgrimage throughout the countryside or even cult members. But the next story here is in 1518 in July in Strasbourg. Another plague began, and by the time it stopped in September, some 400 men, women and children had been afflicted. It began when a woman called Frau Trofea suddenly began behaving erratically, dancing into a frenzy without joy in her face or to any music, and went straight into exhaustion later on that afternoon. She just keeled over. Um, but she got up a few hours later to dance again, and she was joined at the end of the week by another 30 people with the uncontrollable urge to dance. Now, the doctors at the time ruled out supernatural and astrological causes and thought that the plague was caused by, and I quote, natural disease caused by hot blood. 
Um, yeah, okay. Um, end quote. The officials of Strasbourg decided that the most simple way to end the plague was simply to let it dance itself away, and they constructed a stage and supplied professional dancers and musicians to play along, and in September the remaining dancers, and the ones that weren't already dead for, um, from obvious causes, were sent to a mountaintop shrine to pray for deliverance from their affliction but I couldn't find any documentation to confirm if they ever came back, which is a bit scary. The officials also thought that the dancers had invoked the wrath of St. Vitus. Now, St. Vitus's dance is a condition that's also known as Sydenham Chorea. Um, the condition is characterized by uncoordinated jerking movements, and the officials said that St. Vitus had um, cursed the people by causing them to dance non-stop. So, actually, in modern times now, St. Vitus is the patron saint for dancers, entertainers, and those with epilepsy, which I found rather interesting, being a dancer myself and an entertainer. So, what was the cause of all this frenzied dancing? Well, in the 1950s, it was discussed that the culprit was ergot. Uh, that's a mould that forms on the stem of damp rye, and if that rye is used to make bread with it, and then the people ingested it, then they could be poisoned, and ergot, when ingested, can cause hallucinations, convulsions, and frenzied movements, but it's been argued that the type of movements aren't of a coordinated nature, as such as the dancing that was reported, and it's also suggested that the dancers were in some kind of cult, but the reports indicate that there wasn't any ecstasy involved, and I'm not talking about the drug ecstasy, <laughs> I'm talking about actually happiness, and the dancers' faces showed, and I quote, fear and desperation, end quote. Now, if you can probably picture a whole group of people that were just moving around with fear and desperation on their faces, you can probably get how this is a bit, a bit weird bit strange and I feel sorry for these people. Um, now the townspeople in both cases had gone through famine and floods and it's also been suggested that the cause of the plague was a mass psychogenic illness or an MPI caused by extreme stress. Now MPI has been separated into two distinct groups after it's been studied, mass motor hysteria and mass anxiety hysteria. The former as a response to extreme psychological tension and displays itself as frenzied movements and state of disassociation, which it would explain the fearing, uh, the dancing to the point of exhaustion and in some cases death. In other words, that theory explains the people were so wound up and stressed by this situation that all that pent-up emotion was let go by frenzied movements with sometimes catastrophic results. So, dear listeners, on that note, um, dance the night or day away, but please be safe and don't follow people that have those frenzied movements with no joy on their faces. And if you do, report them to their doctors and things. <laughs> I don't think a dancing plague will ever happen in Australia, but... Never can be too sure. <laughs> if, if someone says, hey, I'm St. Vitus, let's cut a rug, maybe don't. Maybe don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can see him doing that. Yeah, yeah. He might, might get down with his bad self. <laughs> well, I think if he did turn up, that would probably be a what the history moment in itself. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I've got no segue to mine. No, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry what? that was a bit of a downer one, but yeah, it was okay. interesting. It was Absolutely. an interesting story, and yeah. And um, I'm going to talk about a war of sorts again. Look, I'm not fascinated with war, honestly. <laughs> really? I am not. I, I Look, straight up, I am a pacifist. You may notice that the wars I talk about 
don't have any actual human casualties. Thank okay? goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> I I like the bizarre little wars that that uh, crop up, and um, well, case in point. Now, the United States of America is no stranger to disputes occurring within its borders. While the Civil War is probably the first thing many think of when it comes to American versus American conflicts, there are others that are a bit more... Well, what the history? In 1839, a bitter, yet kind of sweet, stay with me, uh, dispute occurred between the state of Missouri and the Iowa Territory over a stretch of disputed land along the state boundaries. The boundaries between the states had long been a bit vague due to some unclear wording in the wake of the Louisiana Purchase, and by 1833, with more settlers moving in and the Iowa Territory pushing for statehood, calls were being made to mark a clear line. It wasn't until 1837 that a Missouri official, a surveyor by the name of Joseph Brown, was sent to mark the official boundary. Unfortunately, the existing description of the start of the disputed border as, quote, at the rapids of the River Des Moines, end quote, was not very precise. The description referred rather poorly to a section of the Mississippi River. However, Joseph interpreted it as meaning the actual Des Moines River itself, leading him to mark a new line which put approximately two and a half thousand acres of land into a hotly disputed area. Now this came to a head in 1839, when sheriffs from Missouri decided it was time to collect taxes in this vague area between the states. Of course, people who felt they lived in Iowa were not pleased with this plan. The tax officials were chased back to Missouri, allegedly by a pitchfork-wielding mob. (laughs) But in an effort to avoid returning empty-handed, three honey trees were cut down so that the valuable honey inside could be used as partial recovery of the taxes, thereby giving this growing conflict its name, the Honey War. (laughs) Now, this outraged the residents of Iowa, and when another tax collector visited, another mob formed and locked him up in the Muscatine Jail. Finally, Missouri Governor Lilburn Boggs had had enough and ordered the Missouri militia to the disputed border. The Iowa residents were not about to accept this and formed their own ragtag fighting force to defend their land. According to one observer, the Iowans were wearing whatever each individual believed to be a military uniform, so quite colourful apparently. Mm. And as for the weapons, quote, there were men armed with blunderbusses, flintlocks, and quaint old ancestral swords that had probably adorned the walls for many generations. One private carried a plough coulter over his shoulder by means of a long chain. Another had an old-fashioned sausage stuffer for a weapon, while a third shouldered a sheet iron sword about six feet long. How oh, the visual I'm getting on this. End quote. <laughs> that guy must have been big. <laughs> must be very tall. Yep. Officials, however, did not want bloodshed, so a committee was formed, and on December 24th of 1839, a resolution was made for two governors to request the Congress of the USA to resolve the boundary dispute, and that all military operations were to be suspended. This happened so quickly that many who had travelled to participate in the now-defused honey war turned up to find that the militias had already left. (laughs) 
Now, despite this peaceful resolution, the territory remained unclear for another 10 years when the US Supreme Court finally decided that the older description did in fact mark the correct boundary and ordered surveyors to mark the official boundary between the states, officially ending the Honey War, leaving us to say, not the history. Those poor people wanting to come and fight someone and they found everyone gone. And thank you for listening to What the History This Fortnight. If you are interested in finding out more about what we've discussed, we have got links to our sources and other material for you to check out down in that podcast description just down below there. And, uh, you know, if you have any feedback you'd like to send through to us or if you have any uh, suggestions or have a bit of What the History yourself you'd like uh, delved into a bit more, we would love to hear from you. And I'd like to say thank you to everyone who has sent me messages or talked to me either in real life or on social media saying how much they like our podcast. So thank you very much, everyone. Much appreciated. They sure are, because we enjoy doing this a lot. And I love researching history. It's my favorite thing besides my family. Um, So, yes, thank you. And I'll continue to do this, Yay. even after you're sick of me. Ha! Ah, you're stuck with us now. <laughs> and look, if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, if you're listening listening to us through one of the many podcast apps, please rate and review us, um, just so we can get out there a bit more and more people can find out about the podcast. That's right. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can head to our homepage, wthpod.rufusproject.com, and leave a comment below this very episode. You can head to our Facebook page, the What The History Podcast Facebook page. You can find us at pod underscore what on Twitter, or use the hashtag WTHpod, or even just send us an email, that quaint old-fashioned thing. What's that? To WTHpod at RufusProject.com. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, bring it on. Woohoo! Like I said, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your next-door neighbour, tell the next-door neighbour's cat... Dog, hamster. Send a group email around at work if they'll let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, this is fun. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, I think before we lose control again, we probably should wrap that up. So, again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in a fortnight's time with more bizarre bits of history to make you say, What, what the, the history? history. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Bye. <laughs>